You're listening to Peanut Butter and Jams with hosts Brenda and Jordy on CITR 101.9, exploring local music and local food. Tune in to learn about the best eats and tunes from your neighborhood and a weekly pairing for your date calendar. Warning, the endorsements and criticism expressed during the show are the opinions of the hosts, unless clearly identified as advertising. Put in your earbuds and fire up your taste buds. It's Peanut Butter and Jams. Hi, and welcome to Peanut Butter and Jams. That was Melanie um, opening, leading us in. Thank you, Melanie. I'm Jordy, and... This is Brenda. Hi, hi Brenda. This is our first show at, our, at this time slot. Hurrah, we are official. We officially have a show now, so we won't be doing demos anymore. If you happen to have be interested in what we did before, they are up on our Facebook page, uh, which you can find. Um uh, the, the as you may have heard, the premise of our show is local music and local food. Um, what was that song that we just heard, Brenda? Well, that was a song by Shimmering Stars, and they are playing our Fun Drive finale party tomorrow at the Biltmore Cabaret. And uh, can you tell me anything else about Fifth? Or sorry, not about about Shimmering Stars, because um, I don't know a lot about them, but I know that you have a little bit of knowledge of them. I actually don't really know much about them. You lied uh, to me. No, I didn't lie. I said I have played them before. Uh, that was track two off their new album, Violent Hearts, called I'm Gonna Try. I uh, really like the song. L- really looking forward to hearing them play live tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow's event is the kickoff to our fundraising week. The- the kick end. Sorry, kick end, kick end. We're currently at $19,080.80. So we've raised a lot of money in the last seven days. Thank you so much. Yes, and uh, this is our brand new show, so we haven't had a time to build up a, much of a listener base yet. But um, if you still want to donate, no one's going to say no. Um, in fact, we're going to tell you you should. Yeah, we're going to say that you should. You should call 604 822 um, to donate. Brenda, I believe you had some prizes uh, that you had planned for anyone who donated to Peanut Butter and Jams. I do. It's uh, We're aiming for $35,000 this year, and I uh, think us, we've got some... Alone. Yes, uh, the station. The station no, and Peanut Butter no. and Jams. We're gonna, we want the $35,000 <laughs> ourselves, so anyone donating, donate to us and um, donate $35,000. And then we'll make our goal. It will be amazing. Yeah. So, uh, Peanut Butter and Jams, uh, I did a, a different show a week ago, Raising Money, and this show, without even having a first official show, has already raised $280. That's pretty good of us. Actually, I asked my great aunt, and I think it's 380 now. Well, thank you. Uh, who donated? Well, my friend Rhonda donated, my friend Kendra donated, my father, Jerry, and my mother, Jane, and my brother, Brian and my great aunt Erna. Wow, it's a, a Gruno fest. And my friend Kate Perzo. Thank you all so much. And um, what ne- what we're gonna do now? Oh, is- our prizes. Oh yeah, prizes. Tell us about the prizes. Yeah. So if you call in and donate thirty dollars, I will give you a a jar of homemade strawberry jam. And the beauty of that is that we're actually going to be talking about preserving later this show. Yes, we will talk a little bit about preserving. Um, we're also going to be talking about um, reviews and the sort of process that we're going to be taking with them. Um, with an interview that we did with uh, Andrew Morrison, who you may know of from 
the West Ender or Scout, um, the excellent food blog. Um, what else does Andrew Morrison write? And he writes in a lot of things. He's he's a very prolific food writer. Um, should we go into that? No. No? We need to finish our prizes. Oh, I didn't know there were more. What more are there? Well, if you donate $60, I will either FedEx or deliver to your work 12 muffins, banana chocolate chip muffins. And then at 101.9, Jordy will help make them. I will help make them. I make, I make some good muffins. I I'd, believe you. Um, I'm more of a banana, or not, sorry, not banana, blueberry muffin person myself. So if you prefer blueberry... We can follow my, my blueberry muffin recipe. Okay, so you are picking between Brenda's muffins or Jordy's muffins. Mm -hmm. For 101.9, I offered to have anyone who donated that at my house, and Jordy and I will make you appetizers and canapes. But we have some other prizes, too. If you'd rather ditch all those prizes, we have a pack from Mint Records. It's a Carolyn Mark vinyl with a bottle of hot sauce and a cookbook by Carolyn panda Mark. I think it is hot panda hot sauce. Mm, good hot sauce. And then I've got a whole stack of cooking books here. So if you call in, I'll read you through those titles. Now, since FunDrive has officially ended, the only person answering the phone is me. So if you call... I will run outside and collect your pledge. All right. So, so make me work hard this show. Okay. So let's everyone make Brenda work hard. We've got, but right now we've got an interview with Andrew Morrison to kick us off. Perfect. So this is Peanut Butter Jams on CITR 101.9. We're interviewing Scout Magazine's Andrew Morrison. So uh, we've got a pile of questions. Um, we're just starting our radio show, and we're very excited about this, but we don't have a background, a chef's background, or a food background, or... Aside from just liking to eat. Yeah. Right. So uh, as two normal average people going to restaurants, what do you think that we should include in a proper food review? In a proper food review? Well, I always like to know where a restaurant fits in the sort of pantheon of local restaurants. You know, is it, where does it fit? Is it high end, is it low end, is it entry level, medium? Uh, that sort of sets the tone for me uh, and giving it as much context as I possibly can. So uh, who the chef is, where he or she worked before, who the owners are, you know, just get a feel because not all restaurants are created equal uh, and the people, that starts with the people behind them. Uh, a lot of people have got fantastic pedigrees. Some are brand new to the industry, so it really, really depends. So that's the first thing I always look look to before I even have a bite is just try to understand where it fits, and then either prove myself wrong or right. How much reviewing have you done in the past? I have, gosh, fifty reviews a year, maybe for the last five years. So, quite a few. That's like one every like four days. Week. Yeah, one, once a week, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that doesn't—that—that's just for the paper. That doesn't include stuff I've written for magazines or, or you know, that sort of thing. So, more than fifty a week for the last five years, or actually six years. So, quite a bit. And uh, how have your reviews evolved throughout your career? Well, I grew up in the restaurant business, and I used to hate restaurant critics because I used to serve them and be, be terrified of doing anything wrong. So I was really nervous the first time I started out doing it because you had to work within a model. You know, you've only got so many column inches 
uh, in your newspaper to work with. Uh, over the years, it's sort of graduated to become kind of formulaic. You know that you got to hit your marks. Uh, you know, you have to talk about the decor, the food, the service, the atmosphere, and where it fits in Vancouver's restaurant scene. Cool. And uh, when you go to a restaurant, how do you choose what to order on the menu? Um, I try to... Oh, that's a good question. Um, I could agonize over it and say, well, I should have something poultry, I should have something meat, something fish, something vegetarian. But you know what? I just do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> I order what tickles my fancy. Uh, I, but I, I think that if there's a signature dish, uh, something the chef is particularly proud of, I'll often ask the server what he or she recommends. Uh, but generally, it's just I fly by the seat of my pants when I'm reviewing it. Going back to um, when you like when you were in the restaurant industry, like you knew that reviewers were coming, or did you recognize them? Were you like, I know that guy, he's a food reviewer? We didn't know that they were coming, but we would recognize them. I mean, if you think of the restaurant trade as an army, you share intelligence. And I know that my face and the face of every restaurant critic in the city uh, is plastered to the kitchen walls or server's passes of most of the high-end restaurants in this town. So they actually, like, when you worked there, they actually had pictures up and be like, that's Andrew Morrison or whoever was or the, the restaurant critic yes. at the time. Yes, yes. Or they're just so well-known. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite uncommon for a restaurant critic to go unrecognized. So uh, do you make reservations under a false name, or have you ever gone in disguise? I would never go in disguise because... Uh, I don't get paid enough for the effort. I would feel ridiculous. Uh, and in the end, I think food writing, f to a huge extent, is a form of entertainment. Uh, and I'm able to tell whether or not I'm getting great service or if I'm being ignored. Or, you know, I worked 20 years in the restaurant business. Nothing really surprises me anymore. Uh, and if I feel like I'm getting special treatment, that's considered. Uh, but I, I'm not going to give people top marks just because, you know, a server batted their eyelashes at, at me or, you know, the chef brought out something particularly special that I didn't even order. It's a weird job, man. It's like the weirdest job I ever thought I'd ever get. And I love it, but it has its weird bits, that's for sure. Great. So do you tell restaurants ahead of time that you're coming or is it always a surprise? I would never tell a restaurant ahead of time that I'm coming. If I do have to make a booking, I'd say 95% of the times that I dine out, I never make a booking. And if I do, uh, it's uh, under an assumed name. Do you go by yourself or do you bring friends? Or do you I, mix it up? I do a mix of both, really. I go out with my family quite a bit, my wife and my two young kids. So um, might be but usually it's myself or I have one or two friends that I usually go out with that are okay with me telling them what to order. <laughs> so your children must be food critics themselves then? Yeah, they're hilarious. You know, if they weren't my kids, I'd just be so sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they're total time. food snobs. They're that's six time. and nine, and, uh, you know, they, they can tell you whether or not uh, the bread is good or bad, or, you know, they, they're particular fans of, of really expensive cheeses and... Uh, it's hilarious. So that they could tell you how to write the review with with yeah, that, they, yeah, they they all ask some questions. Like, hey, what do you think of this? And they'll give me, you know, thoughtful answers. Yeah. So Pretty we'll cool. have to have them on our radio show then. <laughs> <laughs> we should be we should be interviewing them right now. <laughs> so um just 
changing tactics a little bit, how critical can you be in a review, and have you ever gotten in trouble for something you've written? Ooh, I get as critical as I want. I've pretty much got carte blanche uh, with the paper that I work at. Um, there's only one time that I've ever sort of got into libel territory, and uh, you know, I've always had very good editors uh, who've steered me away from many legal issues, but I, I write what I feel and think, and I think I've got a, a good reputation for speaking my mind and not playing any kind of favorites. I've come pretty close, you know, to getting sued and, you know, the, having grown up in this trade, I know a lot of people in the industry, uh, so I get a lot of emails that say, hey, I thought we were friends. Oh, oh. sad. <laughs> uh, since we're new, what, what should we be worried about in terms of libel? I think that calling people out for rumor or hearsay for, you know, particular things that they do, like... Uh, uh, their Kobe beef is not actually from Kobe, Japan, or the champagne that they use in the champagne cocktail is actually sparkling wine from California, that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. So uh, not, or, not going you know, out. Calling, you know, I'm not going to say this guy is a total douchebag um, because it's bad writing. Right. Um, but if it takes me a, paragra a paragraph and a half to reach that same conclusion, yeah, I'll do it. Okay. Um, when you're writing, do you take into consideration... Um, like food restrictions, such as maybe vegans or celiacs or kosher or allergies? Or... Nope. nope, not at all. Not at all. I just, if I'm not true to myself and what I like, um, you know, I'm meat and potatoes, but also vegetarian, whatever, spice, doesn't matter, fish. I've got no allergies, I'll eat whatever, but I'm not going to try and please everybody uh, by trying to fit certain things into a review. Okay. Are there um, other reviewers that you read regularly or listen to? Uh, no, honestly, no. Um, it's not... I, mean, I, I studied history and classics at university. I wanted to be, a, you know, a professor of history and seduce undergraduate girls for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, com coming into this was totally weird. Uh, and it's not a particular kind of or form of writing that I can get lots of mileage of enjoyment out of. Um, there are some writers that I love. There's one fellow out of England, uh, his name is A.A. A. Gill, who just makes me laugh because 10% of his stories are about the food in a restaurant review and the other 90% are, it's just, you know, belittling everything and and he's just, got, he's just a fine writer. So it's not really, I, I understand that food writing is a form of entertainment and that I'm not really going to expect people to follow my lead. I might inform them of different options out there, but everyone's food experience is going to be entirely their own. Uh, I can't predict what things are going to be like in a restaurant on any given Sunday. I can just give them the ammunition to make you know, a decision as to whether or not they want to go to a place. So reading other people's reviews... Uh, I mean, it just doesn't. It, I don't see any any um, worth in it for me. That sounds like I'm saying don't even read my stuff because it's not <laughs> used to it. But again, this is a form of entertainment. It's it's reading. It, it's and it's writing. I read the stuff that I kind of like to read, uh, which I would expect of any reader. Uh, and you know, I would prefer to read other things than food writing. Color me weird. Uh, so, do you have any other advice for us on how to educate ourselves about food? Oh, goodness. Um, 
good to know where your food comes from. You know, ingredient sourcing is, it, it, I, I take it pretty seriously. I like to know uh, if somebody is getting, you know, terrible quality poultry or pork or really high quality. I mean, you, you should be able to t- taste the difference as well. Um, and also cooking methods, uh, how things are, are being prepared. Um, and, you know, whether or not there, there's a lot of, uh, culinary plagiarism out there. You know, I like originality. I like, I like chefs that take risks. So identifying those is always a good idea to, when reviewing a restaurant, to try and figure out which dishes are the chef's own. Like a beef bourguignon or a, or, you know, a, a fish dish that you've had somewhere else. You know, the, the classics. You know, a, a, uh, a shepherd's pie, for example. A mm-hmm. hundred restaurants will do them. Uh, so I think my, my philosophy is if you put one on your menu, it's got to be the best damn shepherd's pie ever, you know, because why bother? Why bother putting something on your menu if it's going to be substandard to 99 other restaurants? That's just a philosophy. That's great. Um, we just have uh, one question, one last question, something that we've been asking everyone who's appearing on this episode of the show. Um, sure. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Ah, I don't eat breakfast. Not at all? Nope. I had a coffee and a cigarette. Question bomb. <laughs> no, that's, yep. re- that's really interesting. I'm an evening creature. Do you just skip? And that's, that's a hangover of working 20 years in the trade. <laughs> breakfast is for, you know, regular human beings. So you're not no, part I, of the... I'm, I'm a subhuman. Are you I'm never part of the brunch crowd then? Uh, you know what? I'll do it uh, under duress. Like if... Uh, if my family wants to go do brunch or dim sum or something like that, I'll, I'll, you know, put my helmet on and go for it. But really, I'm like a hobbit. I have, I have second breakfast. I have dinner and tea and and second supper and and midnight snack. So my midnight sp- snack is usually larger than my than my lunch. So you'll but skip. That's, that's that's just from working in the business. You know, you only get a staff meal at, at midnight, and that's the way that my body's been programmed since I was a kid. So, did your parents own a restaurant? Uh, my mom owned a chain of Italian delis when I was a little kid, and my father was a very uh, uh, accomplished home cook. I mean, my, both my parents would take me to restaurants when I was very young. Um, my father was in the corporate world, uh, but when he got home after work three nights a week, he would go and work at a fine dining restaurant as a sous chef uh, for free, uh, just to train himself how to cook, as, as well as the restaurants did. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew up in the culture of food, definitely. Oh, wow. So do you cook yourself, and what's your favorite dish? Ooh, I like things that are simple. I make a spaghetti pomodoro to die for. Uh, it's the simplest dish anyone can make. It's just spaghetti with tomato sauce, but because it's so simple, it's the easiest one to screw up. Mm. So, And I'm not kidding you. Spaghetti with tomato sauce is one of the most ubiquitous things uh, out there. But I, I reckon only five restaurants in Vancouver do it properly. You have to have the right tomatoes, the right pasta, the right olive oil, the right pa- uh, the right cheese, fresh basil. You know, it's not as as easy as it sounds. It's a it's a little dance, and I do it right. Who, who would you say does it as well as you? Uh, Julio Gonzalez Perini, the chef at Lupo uh, in Yaletown. Well, they these guys do it better than me. I mean, yeah. I'm just a uh, I'm five foot eight and you know pretty useless at are, are everything. You, are you saying height helps with the uh, recipe? No, I'm just saying you know in the grand scheme of things, these guys are titans and I'm I'm just a little boy. But uh, Julio does a great one at Lupo. 
Pino Posterero can do it at uh, Chiapinos. Of course he can. Uh, the boys at La Quercia over at 4th and Alma. Uh, it's not on their menu, but they can do it. Um, believe it or not, even though I can't stand the restaurant, uh, Italian Kitchen on Alberni, uh, the chef there, again, it's not on the menu, but I used to work with him about uh, eight years ago, and he used to make it for me as a staff meal by request. You know, I'd, I'd steal him a glass of wine, and he'd give me a dish, and I know he can do it pretty well. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. Yeah, this was it's great. A pleasure. This has been very informative, and maybe we'll have to have you on when we make it to our one-year anniversary. <laughs> you you may call me at your leisure. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Take it easy. You too. Cheers. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the Main Street area at... Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Flaming Angels Boutique, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, Red Cat Records, The Regional Assembly of Text, RX Comics, Temple of the Modern Girl, and The Wallflower Modern Diner. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. treasures to behold and the stories that my father told the link card five feet long and so I would kiss my mother's cheek in the dark and out the door I'd make my way for how can they along a rocky shore Barbudas and ocean spray and the days were so long
made generous donations to Fun Drive 2011. Thank you to Fortune Sound Club, Lotus Land Tattoo, and Sanitary Electric Tattoo Company for helping us continue to provide quality alternative programming from 2011 and into the future. We'd also like to thank our volunteer sponsors, Milo Foods and Ethical Bean, for keeping our volunteers sated and caffeinated. We here at CITR cannot do it without your support, so thank you. If you'd like to donate to CITR's Fun Drive 2011, call 604-822-8648. That's 604-822-8648. Or go online to citr.ca slash fundrive today. Get up, set up, get up. And welcome back. Yes, thank you everyone for donating. But Fundrive is not quite over yet. We've actually, um, Brenda has um, some great news. I, uh, she has not had to answer the phone because we have someone else uh, in the studio answering the phone. Brad, thank, you for, thank you for doing that. Volunteer Brad. And a, a general CITR a, a regular guy. And Brad just donated $20 to Ryan's new show, which is called... Something about butter as well as your show. <laughs> so he was very excited telling me all about the double condiment show that was happening the, at 5 and at 6 on Thursday. So soon we'll... uh, the, the show that leads into us is about butter? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. I know. Fantastic. Yeah. Double, double butters. So Brad just donated, thank you, Brad, to Ryan's show and received some homebrew beer. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, pretty, that's a pretty good prize. Yeah. But if you donate uh, $20 to our show, Brenda will make you jam. 30. Whoa. 30, sorry, yeah, 30. Yeah, give 30. Yeah. No, I, I made a mistake. What kind of jam? Strawberry. Local strawberries. That sounds beautiful. I can just imagine it now, putting it on my toast and then biting it. With some peanut butter. Yeah, or butter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you may have heard in that interview with Andrew Morrison, 
um, that we asked him what he had for breakfast, which is what we're asking everyone in this show. So, uh, Brad, what did you have for breakfast? Um, today I had my really, really early morning day where I have class at 8, and I so I usually get up at 7.30 and go in my car and drive. Um, so I had time to grab a granola bar and an apple, and uh, I actually had a very lucky morning because as I parked my car in the parking lot, I was walking outside, and on the ground there was a, a banana, so I had an extra banana. <laughs> <laughs> From heaven above, lying on the pavement. <laughs> I, there was a lady, like, a did few you, meters before me. Uh, it might have, she might have, might have been her banana. But uh, I kept it for myself. Well, a banana's basically got a wrapper on it, so it's exactly. totally fine to eat that off the ground. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was very good. I had a banana yesterday with some peanut butter. What did you have today? Well, today for breakfast, I was also in a rush, so I m my rush breakfast, other than no breakfast, is to um, have toast, uh, peanut butter, and jam sandwich. Nice. How That's appropriate. Very, very appropriate. Uh, just so you know, the last track we played by was by local band Said the Whale, and it was, the song is called Sandy Bay. Sandy Bay, very local sounding song, all about, all the lyrics about our beautiful trees and lingcods. Yeah, anyhow, I like it. Um, what are we doing now? Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to play a track by Hot Panda. And the beauty of this hot panda track is that we have some hot panda hot sauce to give away. That's true. This song is called uh, Mindlessness, Listness. And it's on, I can't remember the name of the album. It's the one with the picture, the faded picture. And you have it somewhere over there with the child on the horse. Is that on Or a camel. I'm sorry, we lost it in the studio. So much music. So, Anyhow, uh, the song is called Mindlessness Listness, and it's off Mint Records. Um, speaking of Mint Records, if you happen to be doing two things tomorrow night, um, you might want to go to their 20th anniversary party. However, Hot Panda is playing there. However, if you are only doing one thing, you should come to the CITR fundraiser, which is at? The Biltmore Cabaret. That's right. And um, so we should go right into that song. Yeah, so call in if you want to and donate, and you can get some Hot Panda Hot Sauce, A Terrible Hostess Recipes for Disaster Volume 2 by Carolyn Mark, and also Carolyn Mark's latest vinyl, Let's Just Stay Here. So if you donate $30, you get jam and hot sauce? Is that is that what happens? Or yeah, is the, that a first, separate? the first person who donates to our show during this, like starting now, will get both jam and hot sauce. Jam and hot wow. sauce. Yeah. And we'll throw in the terrible hostess recipes for disaster. You can't buy that. For thirty dollars. But you can donate it. Donate exactly. It. Yeah. Give money to us, and it's like you went to the store <laughs> and got something back. It's amazing. <laughs> you got some groceries. It's amazing. You can't get Brenda's strawberry jam in any store, to my knowledge. It's That's true. true. It's priceless. Priceless. So our total is $19,100.80. Please help us crack $20,000. And, um, so and you can do that by calling 604-822-8648. Or visiting our website, citr.ca slash donate. Okay. Okay, and we're going to play the track.
like to take a moment to thank businesses who have made generous donations to Fun Drive 2011. Thank you to Fortune Sound Club, Lotus Land Tattoo, and Sanitary Electric Tattoo Company for helping us continue to provide quality alternative programming from 2011 and into the future. We'd also like to thank our volunteer sponsors, Milo Foods and Ethical Bean, for keeping our volunteers sated and caffeinated. We here at CITR cannot do it without your support, so thank you. If you'd like to donate to CITR's Fun Drive 2011, call 604-822-8648. That's 604-822-8648. Or go online to citr.ca slash fundrive today. Get up, stand up, get up. It's Vince for CITR. You gotta be in a great mood all day because you gotta be tuning into some of the freshest independent music around. You love music, but you just hate finding it, right? Just tune in and pow, music. Hey, Katy Perry, what were you listening to before? Your mainstream radio was boring. Boring radio, boring life. Now look at this. Add a little punk, throw in a little rock and reggae, and shazam! Now you've got yourself a radio station. You like news? Check out my news. You'll love my news. What you can do is mix things together. Mix things together? Are you straight up crazy? I can never do that with my old radio station. How can I get me some CITR? We're so easy to find. 101.9 on the FM dial or online at CITR.ca. Now how much would you expect to pay for all of this? $100. No, $500. Okay, okay. $1,000. I would pay $1,000. Uh-uh. Not today. Not in my studio. CITR is absolutely free but free ain't cheap so if we got a deal for you call today or donate online and we'll throw in another full year of maintenance free music but wait there's more more can he do that i can and i am if you call in the next 20 minutes because you know we can't do this all day we'll throw in breakfast with the browns duncan's donuts and sore throats clapping hands absolutely free here's how to order operators are standing by now call 604-UBC-CITR or 822-2487. And when you call, ask about our fun drive swag. Operators are standing by now to take your calls. Can't get to a phone? Go to citr.ca slash fun drive to donate online. This is a limited time offer and quantities are unlimited. So call now. That's 604-822-4287. Again, 604-822-4287. Call now.
Chinchilla Cub will be doing some special performance at the Mint Records Christmas party. Before that was uh, Shearing Pinks, who um, are. Okay, we're going to talk to Okay, uh, Brenda, or is Harry ready? Okay, we've got uh, Harry. His last name I can't remember. Yes, the phone is on. Harry, are you there? I am here. Ah, good. Good to hear from you. Brenda is joining us again. Hello, Harry. Hey, Brenda. You sound great. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling great. Good. So, um, can you, Harry, who are you? Tell us about yourself. Oh, I used to uh, be a DJ on CITR radio uh, a while back and a few other things. And, hey, I was once in your position, Brenda. I was the station manager. And did you Back like in your the job? 80s, so I know what it's like. Wow, wow. <laughs> uh, did you so, like your job, Harry? Well, thanks for keeping the, the ship afloat. <laughs> no problems. Uh, and what do you do now? I'm the uh, executive director of the Vancouver Playhouse International Wine Festival. And you'd think, well, how does, you know, how did my experience at CITR connect with wine? Well, you know, one of the two things that, that that's, very similar between CITR Radio and the Wine Festival. It's all about channeling chaos. <laughs> so you moved from one equally fun job to a equally awesome job. Exactly. Nice. So, um, I don't know, are there any stories from back when that you want to share about CITR? <laughs> um, I seem to have a thing about food. Like, all my shows that I did, that I think back, there was a campus capsule, because a capsule is easier to swallow than an <laughs> effervescent tablet. We had uh, offbeat, and we spelled beet as in uh, B-E-E-T, the vegetable. Um, we had the breakfast report, the lunch report, the dinner report. I seem to be always obsessed about food and, and when it's time to eat. So I love the name of your new show. So it's very appropriate that you're... you're guesting on our show so right now. Your show is like one of our show's ancestors. And so, you know, now I'm doing wine because it's something else that, you know, you enjoy. I mean, music, uh, I love theater music. 
you know, it's what you hear. And what I love about wine, it is really the music of the sense of smell and taste, right? It's You'd get bored if you heard this if you drank the same wine all the time, and you would be bored if you heard the same song over and over again. So I think part of, uh, you know, the connection that I have is I love how things look, how they, how they sound, and how they smell and taste. And to me, the wine festival is the, is the festival. It's the smell and taste festival. Wow. Okay, great. Um, so why don't so, you tell us a little bit about some wine? How does well, I was wondering what wines would go with peanut butter and jam sandwich. Don't you? Is that the is that the burning question? That is something I was wondering about. What wine would you drink? With, would you drink a red or a white or a bubbly? I, I like the bubbly option. Yeah, that that um, because bubbly goes with uh, just about everything, and in particularly uh, a Spanish Spanish cava. Are you going to toast the bread for that jam and? And peanut butter sandwich. I, I usually do in the morning, but it's it's up to personal taste, really. Yeah. Well, the toastiness of the, when you toast, you get that kind of uh, um, crunchy, uh, toasty, uh, uh, bready thing. And uh, Spanish sparkling wine, it's called Cava, has those similar toasty elements, mm. and they're really good value. They're only around fifteen dollars. I'd say Cava from Spain with. Uh, so, and jam sandwich. so to also, toasty flavor with a toasty sandwich. Also, the jamminess and sweetness of like a an Aussie Australian Shiraz. But then, if you switched up the jam, it might impact the whole the whole pairing. Yeah, it's just a, you know a real jammy, rich Australian red. This is there quite is a jam we're in. Pairing, which is actually a sherry. Sherry. Slightly sweet sherry. It's called Nutty Nutty Solera in the liquor store this might uh, impact my work in the morning well and the official uh wine beverage of breakfast is sparkling wine so you know true goes with the mimosa and what time does this breakfast usually happen harry <laughs> uh i'm a kind of a brunch guy so maybe maybe 11 30 Mm-hmm. So um, when you started as executive director of the Wine Festival, were you already, uh, I was going to say foodie, but wino is probably not the right word either. Did you already have a developed palate or did you need to, I know you've been taking courses to increase your knowledge and taste of wines and your experience. Can you tell us a bit about how you, how you developed your palate? Well, I used to organize a thing at CITR called Brewscast, which was something we did on Friday afternoons. And, and uh, sorry, uh, sorry, what was that? That was Brewscast. 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 Oh, Brewscast. Oh, Brewscast. Oh. Oh, okay, yeah, I gotcha. Because I was in the news department, and people said, "Hey, we need to have like a little socializing." And so we used to have Brewscast, and then we started introducing wine, and uh, I started just liking. Uh, Liking the taste of wine, so I've been kind of uh, interested in it as a hobby for, well, let's put it this way. I've been to every wine festival since 1987 when I was a station manager at that time. So it's been, I've tasted thousands and thousands of wines, but I've also heard thousands and thousands of songs. So, yeah. you know, it's all, it's all in the ebb and flow. Can you taste the difference between like uh, an expensive wine or and a, and a that you might be able to afford now and a cheap wine from back when you were do doing Booze Fest or Booze Cast? Booze Cast. Booze I cast. think um, a more expensive wine has a more particular taste. 
So it doesn't mean that you would like an expensive wine better, but it would have a more particular, um, a, a more aromatic nose, more impact on the palate, and a lot longer finish. So the key about more expensive wines isn't that you might like that sensation better, but it's to find what is your particular thing. That's what I always liked about the wine festival is in the tasting room, you can taste from like 700 wines. A lot of them are 40, 60, 80, even $100. So it gives you a chance like, look, if I'm going to spend 30 or $40 on a wine or give it as a gift, it's just nice to kind of sample that song, sample that wine before you buy it to kind of know what you like, whether it's a, maybe a lighter Pinot Noir-style wine, like from Burgundy, France, or something rich that has really a lot of impact, like um, a Melbeck from Argentina or a Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley. So generally, more expensive also means more particular wine, like from a specific vineyard. So rather than cheaper wine is more like elevator music, and a more expensive wine is more like a, a duet or a quartet, or like it's, it's more live music. Mm, good analogy. Uh, um, just going back to all those adjectives you're using, how are those determined for wines? Like how like how does a wine taste more? impactful or banana-y hints or all, all these different adjectives that get thrown around with uh, on wine bottles. How do they, how do those, I, I can never taste but hints of banana or um, smokiness in, in wine, but how does that, how does that work? Is that just because my palate is unrefined? Um, I think on one hand, if someone's not used to opera or not used to classical or not used to rap, at first, opera or rap or classical can sound all the same. And the more you sample, the more you start to distinguish between what seems to be to some people all sounding the same. I think generally a wine, rather than plucking words and looking for words, I think what, what I would suggest is that when you smell or taste wine is to imagine yourself, with, you know, like close your eyes and imagine what part of the plant are you smelling? Are you smelling flowers, fruit, leaves? Um, spices come from seeds and from branches and earthiness. So most of the f- most of the flavor descriptions tend to be descriptions of uh, of the smells of plants. Mm. And so grapes have this incredible ability to mimic other fruits. They're the chameleon of the plant world. And so they're at the actual carbon, hydrogen, oxygen makeup of the molecules that you smell if you smell banana hints, will actually have molecules similar to banana. Hmm. And that's what happens. Grapes do that through the fermentation process when they turn into alcohol. So part of it is not looking for the word. It's just to imagine yourself, does this smell floral? Does this smell fruity? Does this smell more like, you know, the floor, a forest floor? Or does it smell like, you know, a fresh ocean breeze? In terms of impact, wine also has weight. There's, There's... there's a tactile sense, which is it can be light, and it can be, or it can be really full-bodied. It can be really dry. So part of it is just to not have other people tell you what you're feeling, but just as you feel confident, you don't need anyone to tell you what that song sounds like. I mean, that would just be weird, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can hear a song and feel confident. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, and you can make a decision whether you like it. What you need to do is just free yourself up and just let what you smell and what you taste tell you what you're smelling and tasting. Don't try to think it. And I think that's because 
uh, we just because our sense of smell and taste is 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 not very um, it's not we're just it's not very good. I mean, if dogs could smell wine, they'd be a lot better at it than we are because they got a good sense of smell. We so, just have. So a you're saying a dog would have a much better palate than a than a human. So we just have to kind of like when we smell when we have food or wine is to smell and taste it. And for some reason, Anglo culture, whether it's Great Britain or North America or even Australia, New Zealand, we seem to deny ourselves that things that are smelling and tasting is kind of weird. But if you go to France or Mediterranean countries, they they embrace that's part of life. What you smell and taste is is, is is embracing life and they don't feel like you need to tell them what the words are that you're smelling and tasting. They really find that that's just part of enjoying life in the same way you like playing music and, and you love hearing music. Did you did you did you did you want me to be passionate about this? Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is perfect. Uh, Harry, when I first met you, I think it was at the offices of the Vancouver International Wine Festival, and uh, you showed me a video where Conan O'Brien put a sock in his mouth, <laughs> and to to learn how to taste different tastes, it was this little sketch where he started with with fruit and cherries and chocolate, and ended up putting dirt and finally a dirty sock. Um, is is this what we should be doing to learn about new tastes? Yeah, that was uh, a fellow named Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, TV library. He does uh, a blog each day, and uh, he's kind of like the—he's a bit of a wine guru guy, and he's—he's he's looking at new ways to get people sort of interested and in understanding wine by exposing people to just a lot of things that, um, a lot of unusual smells and tastes. And that's, that's what he did as a kid. He used to like, like eat dirt and, and smell and taste strawberries and just like, you know, lick things and just like he was obsessed with it. And now he's got a really good palate. Interesting palate. So, you know, the more you listen to music, the more, you know, more interesting layers unfold. And it's, it's similar in the wine world. Great. Well, See, that's why it's like, it's not like detergent where there's just like seven brands. I mean, it's kind of weird when you go to the wine shop. Why, why does there have to be, like, hundreds and hundreds and, like, you know, a couple thousand different wines rather than just, like, you know, five ones that you can choose from? It's because they're all different. They're constantly changing, and the, the, the vintages are different because the weather's different. And I think that's, that's kind of cool that you can have something that's not, never going to be the same two times in a row. Because you get you, you could have a different wine every, every week or every day for the next ten twenty for the rest of your life. Never have to taste the same thing twice or listen to the same song twice. Exactly the many and many many bands that are in this world. It's absolutely impossible to keep up, and that's why stations like CITR are here to expose you to all those different variations and and sounds. Well, that's why my nickname in, in the wine world is Wine DJ because. I'm able to keep up on a lot of uh, the different wines and be able to pour different wines in different sort of contexts. And I remember when uh, when I was a DJ on CITR, we did a Friday show. Oh, what was it called? Random Radio? It's one of the few shows I did that didn't have a reference to food on it. And um, when you're a DJ, it's amazing how, how, how well you can keep up with what's happening. And then when I stopped becoming a DJ, it was like it was really hard to to, to tap in and keep up it's just there's so much going on. Mm -hmm. 
Well, thank you so much, Harry, for coming on. I'm sure you'll be a regular guest on our show. Anytime we need a wine expert or um, music and wine expert. Yeah, we'll have to do, um, like, uh, not just a wine and food pairing, we'll have to do a wine and song pairing. Oh, that's a good idea. Yes, and we then, actually, on our show, we do a weekly show and food pairing. Um, right. What we can do is I can mention the wine. You can have the wine in the studio. I'll have the wine over here. And, uh, and we, we'll ask the we, people. we can't drink on the air, so uh, oh, right. we'll, we'll have to. Well, you to. don't have to drink. You don't have to swallow it. You just have to swallow Oh, yeah. Yeah, there we go. That's it. We'll get a little spittoon in the hallway. <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, Harry, you also mentioned that you would support the radio station and support Peanut Butter and Jams. Because that's your show. I know. That's our show. So if other listeners want to call in, you can call 604-822-8648 or visit citr.ca slash donate since we're fundraising right now. And our current total is $19,100.80. What would you That's right. One hundred dollars and eighty cents. But and, and how much did I donate last year, Brenda, on your show? I think you donated one hundred one point nine, and I made you muffins. This you year, I think I did better than that. Oh, did you? Oh, I'm so sorry. I can talk. I, I you know, I'll tell you what. I'm in. You, you delivered me muffins, didn't you? Oh yeah, uh, I can bring you better swag this year. Yeah, you get you get an evening of uh, appetizers, more muffins, jam. I'll bring the wine. Yeah. So I'm in for $250. $250. Harry, you're amazing. Thank you, Harry. Thank you so much. Um, th- before... I'll have to do it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. We've got, you, we've got you on the air, so you can't back out now. Um, but we would also uh, like to ask you one last question that we've been asking everybody, and it would be a shame not to ask you, what did you have for breakfast, Harry? I had this cookie that I often have. A cookie and a cookie, and so today I went to the at the at the office building where I am on Cambian Broadway. There's this funky little place that has some baked goods and coffee, and today was finally the day I said, "What's the name of this cookie?" Like you have all these signs, muffin this and and uh, banana bread. What's the name of this? Which of these signs is this cookie? And and she said, "Well, no, we don't have a sign for that cookie." Well, what kind of what kind of cookie is it? And she goes, well, it looks like a nutritious cookie. It's a nutritious <laughs> cookie. <laughs> well, at least you had a healthy cookie for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, it has a lot of seeds in it and, and some fruit, and it's not very sweet. And I really and feel sorry for this cookie. It has no identity whatsoever. <laughs> this is known as a nutritious cookie, but anyway, that's, the, that's what I had. With a coffee, of course. Of course. Of course. Well, thank you so much, Harry. All right. And we'll be having you over... To my house for appetizers and canapes. If you, if you just want to stay on the line, um, Brenda can grab your details about that donation, and uh, we're gonna put a, we're gonna go to a song. All right, cheers. All right, great, thanks.
citizen of the town His gaze made me uneasy And went into my pocket Reflex action looking for coins To myself, to my meals in my room, trying to understand the feeling, displacements within community, looking for an ashtray with a lead cigarette here by the river. CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver. 
ice cream man, ice cream man, uh, can I have this? I want this over here and a, a toast on by my father and give me this ice over here and vanilla cone. Thank you, ice cream man. Thank you. Thank you, ice cream man. That, that was the ice cream man, um, station ID that, that we like to play. Um, thank you, Harry, again, for your donate, your wonderful donation. And thank you for, um, being so informative and interesting about wine. Also, thanks to Andrew Morrison earlier, um, for, uh, pre-recording that with us and, uh, also being very informative about the process of food reviewing. Super helpful. Um, what have we been listening to, Brenda? Well, we've been totally forgetting to tell people what songs we've been listening to. We got so excited about food, we forgot about the music. So we started off with Shearing Pinks, a local band that will be well, playing the well, Fun Drive finale. We didn't... That this, If you remember a, a, a kind of longish song that might have sounded a little bit weirder than the other songs we were playing, that was the Shearing Pinks one. So we're going from that point in the set. Kind of like scratching. It sounded like scratching experimental music. I really I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the track was called Breathless, and it was on their latest LP. So you do need some vinyl. You do need a record player to play that track at home. The next band we played was The Evaporators, which is our own very own Nardwar the Human Serviette. Tune in tomorrow. Um, He'll be around. At 3.30 in the afternoon. He's also live on WFMU in New York. Very exciting. Uh, The track was called Addicted to Cheese. Addicted to Cheese, which is something very near and dear to my heart. I don't know how people can be vegan. I have to eat cheese all the time. Uh, another curious point of information is that uh, Nardwar is going to be filming a video at CITR with Andrew WK sometime in the next week. I'm not going to tell you when because then you'll be here. Everyone's going to be paparazziing it. I know, <laughs> but it's CITR is going to be in another music video, so we're very excited about that. And then, Jordy, tell us about the last track you played. The last track I played was by Cloud Splitter, um, who is, which is a great local group. Um, if you you may have recognized uh, the lady's voice, uh, that was Katie Lappy guest vocaling on that song. Um, but that band is kind of a, a powerhouse group in town. It's uh, Dave Gowans, Jesse Gander, um, with uh, Doug Little and Stephen Lyons, um, who are all very uh, very seasoned musicians in town. Um, Jesse Gander uh, is also in Ghost House records most bands that play music in Vancouver at the High Studio. Dave Gowans is in... Uh, Butless Chaps. Butless Chaps, that's right. And also owns Red Cat Records. That is right. He is the um, the man who looks like he owns the place in Red, in Red Cat. Very, very nice guy. Yeah. And Stephen Lyons uh, used to work at the Railway Club and is in the band Fond of Tigers and uh, runs a label called Drip Audio. Fond of Tigers won a Juno last year. So very happy for them. And um, so I guess we should go into our la- one of our last um, more talky pieces before we um, round the episode up. This is a piece on Terra Madra that was... Um, uh, visited by one of our correspondents, uh, Laura Best. I uh, got a chance to catch up with Laura a couple nights ago to ask what it was like, and uh, she's going to tell you all about it now. So who are you? I am Laura Best. And you are a correspondent for Peanut Butter and Jams, correct? I am. Okay, so what did you go do last weekend? 
I went to the Terra Madre Day hosted by Slow Food Vancouver at W2 in Gastown. Let's see, where should we start? Who or what is the Terra Madre Day? So it's a fundraising day to send farmers to the Terra Madre Conference mm -hmm. and it's hosted by Slow Food Vancouver. Okay, so who, who's Slow Food Vancouver then? So they're the Vancouver branch of Slow Food International. Mm -hmm. So it's a movement slash organization of people who are into producing food in you know a smaller, more environmentally friendly, earthier way. Right. And um, what sort of like what's the conference that they're being sent to? Is that like a so Terra Madre is for producers, mm -hmm. but I think other people can go and it's kind of like the WTO of small food right. people. That makes it sound like they're, <laughs> <laughs> it sound like they're really short. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say it makes it sound like they're really corporate small food people. Oh, but no. They're like small scale producers. Like the or, WTO. Oh, yeah. Like no. Big thing. No, it's like the big meeting of everyone involved in this movement. But they're actually just really short. But they're, they're, yeah, they're like short farmers. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so it's the, I think it's the farmers and the chefs and people involved in the advocacy around making food uh, more sustainable and smaller scale as opposed to the corporatization large scale farming that we see. Okay, so kind of like um, an antithesis to the big food empire. Exactly, yeah. exactly, right. yeah. So all the little guys get together and be inspired and talk shop. And they fight giants. Yeah. Eat arugula. Yeah. Eat arugula. Yeah. Okay. What was the actual Wear event? Wear tiny pants. <laughs> what was the actual event like? Uh, well, it was three floors of W2. W2 and there was wine tasting and uh, that's what stood out the most. No. <laughs> wine tasting and food samples and producers. Uh, sort of marketing their wares and marketing their mm -hmm. CSA shares. What does CSA stand for? It stands for Community Supported Agriculture. So it's when you buy a share of a farmer's harvest each year mm -hmm. rather than buying individual food products. Right. And so people who uh, ran their farms on that model were there. People who sold uh, organic pork were there, along with catering companies cooking with it. Uh, there were workshops on various food-making processes. And where were these like farmers all coming from? Mostly really local. Some of them farm in urban Vancouver and some in the valley. Right. How do they... Do you know how they farm in Vancouver? Is that... So, uh, if you don't know us. No, there, uh, there's a number of different farmers in Vancouver who farm in people's backyards. Mm -hmm. So people who own a big house in Kitsilano and don't use their backyard. So there's a couple of farmers who have their quote-unquote farm is actually just backyards spread across Kitsilano. There's one who has the ba their backyard spread across uh, East Man, and their farm is really a collection of really small plots growing food around the city. Okay. Was there anything in particular that you'd say stood out as like the best thing of, was it the wine? <laughs> no, I was a big, I was a big fan of the wine. <laughs> um, now I'm thinking about the wine. 
Um, there was a couple. Well, let's, let's talk about the wine. Where was the wine from? <laughs> well, we we went. Uh, the wine that we tasted was from Lotus Land, which is out in Abbotsford, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so there's actually a number of wine producers in the Lower Mainland. Mm-hmm. Most of them produce wine from. Uh, berries or fruit rather than grapes because grapes don't grow well in the the lower mainland so they have blueberry wine and blackberry wine and port made out of blackberries that sounds really interesting what what, what sort of food was there at the event a lot of the local chefs cooked with local food in Mm -hmm. order to showcase what can be done my favorite was a wild boar pate mm. with a marinated mushroom on top, and that I can't remember what kind of mushroom, but it was really good. A wild mushroom? Probably some sort of wild mushroom, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, so there was everything from people selling various root vegetables that they had harvested that week to people selling really intricate wild boar pate that they had made recently so it was like everything from like farmers market to local restaurants showing off their food yeah and i think that's what's really interesting about the food movement is it's everywhere from hippies growing rutabagas in their backyard to people paying like 140 dollars to go to feast of fields in the summer which is hosted by farm folk city folk mm, so which, it's where would you say you land on that spectrum well depending on my, my monthly budget status i'm probably right in the middle okay i like to dabble in both you, you don't know? look particularly like a hippie nor or do you look extremely wealthy? No. Like, no. Yeah. You know, we grow food on our balcony, but I also enjoy going to Buckashuck at La Brasserie, mm. for example. Yeah. So, kind of middle of the road. How would someone find out more if there are more events along these lines? From what I understand, the two organizations that do the most in local food events are Slow Food Vancouver and Farm Folk City Folk. Mm -hmm. And they partner to fund the Terra Madre delegates from Vancouver, Mm -hmm. but they also have their own events that deal with local food and local food production. Was there any, like, educational stuff at the conference? Yeah, so there's a lot of workshops. Conference is probably an overly... It makes it sound stuffier than it was. Yeah. It's more like a freewheeling educational eating opportunity. Mm-hmm. So uh, there were talks? There, there were, there were wor- workshops on food production, like how to make your own paneer, how to make your own sauerkraut. And then there was also some educational talks about various food issues, like uh, raw milk mm-hmm. and the legality or current non-legality of selling raw milk in British Columbia. A lot of the issues around food tend to be really political Mm -hmm. because a lot of food production is so highly regulated by the federal government and by the provincial government. For health reasons mostly? Yeah, for health reasons. Or at least that's what it was originally for? Yeah, for health reasons or things like the wheat board or, Mm -hmm. you know, they're meant to be pro-producer or subsidies to certain types of food production are meant to encourage one way of growing over another. Right. But I don't know a lot about that. We'll we talk about the wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Future show, future show on law. Law, not L- laws of food, food law. 
That would be a really yeah. interesting show. That would be really interesting. You should do that show. But, well, but the event was educational and food driven, which is something that a lot of the food events in Vancouver that I have been to tend to be. That there's some educational component and some free food component. Mm-hmm. Well, that just makes them better. Yeah, yeah, pretty much just makes it more interesting to go to if you can eat free food and yeah. learn at the same time. But this was by donation, correct? Yes, this was by donation. And all the proceeds went to funding delegates to attend the Terra Madre conference. So it was only free if you were a cheapskate. It was only free if you were a cheapskate, yeah. yes. <laughs> but if you are, that's, I guess you can get away with it. Yeah, that's your own, you know, karma will get you in the end. <laughs> So. Um, well, I just have one more question to ask you. Mm-hmm. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I had two boiled eggs. Two boiled eggs? Nothing? Uh, anything on them? No. No? Just eggs? Just two boiled eggs. Hot? Or hard boiled or soft boiled? Hard boiled. I put them on when I get in the shower and then I eat them when I get out. <laughs> All right. Well. It's the more I do it every morning. I eat two boiled eggs every morning. Well, thank you for letting us know about that. You're welcome. Okay. And welcome back. That Thank you so much, Laura, for covering Terra Madra for us. Hopefully we will have her involved in the future, um, maybe to talk about uh, community-sponsored agriculture or the laws that govern how food works in our town. Um, what are we going... What do we need to cover? We should talk about... Um, this is your... This is your last chance to donate to peanut butter and jams. That's not true. You can you can still donate to peanut butter and jams if it's your if you want to. Um, but if you call 604-822-8648, you can get in while we're still on the air. And um, if you go to citr.ca/donate, you can also donate that way. Um, so uh, yeah, if you want to, you can always donate anytime. So we'll be collecting, dribbling in donations for the next week. And if you can make it to the Biltmore tomorrow, come out and check out some awesome local bands. Yeah, there's a silent auction. So maybe if you were like holding your donation for something a little bit more, you might find it at the silent auction. You need to little get a more back. Yeah. A little, little more selfish. Yeah. Yeah. That that's okay. That's okay. We, there's stuff at the silent auction for everyone, so there's great, that's there's including selfish people. I, gift certificates. There's uh, when I'm beer. feeling charitable, I like to I like to get my bang for, some bang for my buck. And there's a lot of great stuff there. Yeah. It's also the theme is tune into the future, so you'll get two dollars off cover if you dress like the future. That sounds pretty great. Now we ha- do a pairing every show, and um, what. Uh, what would we pair? We're, we're pairing with the fun drive uh, this week. What would you do before? Or where would you go to eat before or after the fun drive? Probably before. Well, Jordy, <laughs> the other day I went for this very reason to check out Habit, which is at Main and 12th. Walking distance. Walking distance from the Biltmore, right around the corner. It was a very pleasant experience. Maybe bring an umbrella, though. It has been raining a lot lately. It has been. A Habit and Cascade next door are owned by the same people. Uh, it's a little different menu. The nice thing, we went for dinner, and there were tons of kids everywhere. So if you are... Family-friendly. Family-friendly. If you want to go out for a nice dinner and bring your kids, your nieces or nephews... I don't think you can bring kids into the Biltmore. But you cannot take them to the show. So... Then take them back home to the babysitter. Exactly. <laughs> or one of you can go back home and the 
the other can go to the fun drive. I don't know. Brenda's giving me a look. I should. I'm. I'm done. Exactly. <laughs> or you can bring your nieces and nephews with their parents for dinner, and then sneak off to the Biltmore 